Have you ever wanted to peek into the dark corners of history and see what you find? Luckily, you've come to the right place. I'm Teddy. I'm Katrina. And this is Grave History, a macabre history podcast. Welcome to tonight's episode of Grave History, friends. Thought I'd mix things up a little bit with the intro. I don't know how I feel about that. I quite like it. Yay! Perfect. Well, it's. I was going to say it's a rainy afternoon, but sadly it isn't anymore, so there goes my aesthetic. Mm. It's now just sort of grey. Well, it's sunny here, which is good, because I think we've earned it after days and days of cold mist. <laughs> but I bet the cold mist was very aesthetic. Oh, it was. It completely was. Did you take advantage of it? Um, how does one best take advantage? Instagram photos. Oh, I took a few, yeah. Good, good. Well, that's all we can hope for. Mm-hmm. But tonight, or this afternoon rather, mm. I thought we would have a little look at uh, witch trials. Ooh, this is exciting. Mm. Before we go any further, obviously witchcraft spread over the entirety of Europe and bled Mm. into North America. But given the nature of our podcast, I am going to be centering it on Britain and Mm -hmm. more specifically on England. Mm. Because if I was to talk about British witch trials as a whole, we would need more than an hour and a half. Hours and hours and hours. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So hopefully... At another point, we will cover the Scottish witch trials. Yes. Yeah, since we have an expert from Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought it would be interesting to look at English witch trials because the kind of main part of it does focus around where I am from. Yes, with um, Witchfinder General, I believe. Yes. Mm. Um, We're going to be actually really kind of looking at him in some level of depth in this episode, which mm. I thought would be quite nice. Which I remember they talked about him on Blue Peter one time. They did? Yeah, they did. They, they, him, he was played by Simon, the, the presenter. Ah. And then Connie Huck played one of the witches. I don't know why I remember like these episodes <laughs> of Blue Peter so specifically, but I do. I'm going to have to track it down. Find it, man. Mm. Hopefully we will also kind of dispel some, not lies, but... Misconceptions 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 is a good word for it i know her she lives down the road (laughs) that is there's got to be a drag queen out there called misconceptions oh i hope so but yeah so i thought we could start with kind of what we mean when we say witchcraft especially in this particular part of history yes and what particular part would this be? So the part we're going to be focusing on specifically will be the mid the mid seventeenth century. Okay. But I thought it would be good first to kind of give you a bit of background on how we end up at that point. Okay. Because there is a lot of kind of build up, some might say. Yeah, yeah. I mean these these kind of things don't just happen out of nowhere. New. No. So obviously when we think of witchcraft and witches these days, I think a lot of it has been tinged by TV shows, so things like Buffy and Charmed, um, Wicca, which has really changed what people think witchcraft is. Yeah. As well as a great deal of books written by people called like Galadriel Unicorn and stuff. (laughs) But (laughs) 
Witchcraft and its kind of ilk have existed basically since the dawn of civilization and before it. Mm. Wise women and men, herbalists, uh, midwives or birth doulas have basically all existed for as long as people have right really you know there are there will be people who are better at bringing children into the world who know which plants will help what who tend to be better at giving advice and guiding people in some societies they are very revered Mm. so for example um if you look at the vulva in uh scandinavian societies Uh, excuse me the what the hmm, vulva thank you you're welcome there is no kind of from what I can tell, uh, linguistic link between that and the word vulva, much as people seem to wish there was. But yeah, they were often kind of very important parts of societies in Scandinavia, Mm -hmm. and their uh, wisdom and practices were treated with a lot of respect. So would you say, uh, would it be fair to say that um, it's very tied into femininity? I would say so, yeah. I would absolutely say so. Particularly because the fear of them Mm -hmm. starts to come in as you get what I'm going to call male roles. So things like doctors and, you know, people who are the quote-unquote educated position. Mm. So male, as opposed to the naturalist, strange, magical position, female. Right, yeah. And it would begin to create this kind of mistrust where, you know, a herbalist can cure you. Sure, she'll know what herbs to give you to treat your cough or help with a a, a problem, shall Mm -hmm. we say. But it follows that if she can cure you, she can also kill you. You know, a midwife can bring your child into the world. Does it not follow that she can also take it out? I mean, I I guess. Mm. Witches were known for kind of they had a knowledge of the earth. Yes. Which is, you know, we see again in midwives and wise women and herbalists. Mm-hmm. But the belief began to form that this knowledge wasn't something that was just passed down through generations, but was instead given to them by either by strange familiars, which yeah. were animals that were magical spirits taking the form of animals. Salem the cat from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, I gotcha. Exactly. Mm. Or, in fact, from the devil himself. Right. When, uh, well, I, I suppose you're going to get into this, but when did the devil kind of become an angle in, because, I mean, the devil doesn't, ex- I, I assume you mean like the Christian devil mm. who doesn't exist and... No, so it's, I mean, it, it's, Mostly, kind of, from what I can tell, it seems to really come into play around the 1400s. Okay. When witchcraft is deemed heresy by Mm. Pope Innocent VIII. (laughs) So that's, I think, when we really start to get that kind of angle coming in as Christianity becomes more and more potent Mm. in Mm -hmm. England. Right, that idea that it's the the work of the devil. Mm -hmm. The Bible actually contains the line, you know, thou shall not suffer a witch to live. Although there is a theory that witch was potentially a mistranslation of poisoner. Mm. (laughs) It's just like like every every quote I hear from the Bible, it it always says something (laughs) like, thou shalt not murder kittens. And then there's a caveat like, this may be a mistranslation. You can, in fact, murder kittens. (laughs) I don't know enough about biblical studies to like... (laughs) Mm. But at that point, they were basically being accused of 
anything that could go wrong. So killing livestock, mm. sickening family members, ruining harvest, mm. and basically just trying to tempt good Christian folk to join their hellish crusade. People were frightened of witches to the mm. point of warding their homes against them. Mm-hmm. despite the irony of doing that yes <laughs> it's like this is definitely you're doing witchcraft i hope you know that like you're drawing symbols on the wall which you can still actually see in quite a lot of historical houses that's interesting mm. so if you go to um i can't remember which building it is specifically in the tower of london but one of the prison towers actually has a lot of symbols that are protection against witchcraft carved into the stone okay oh that's interesting <laughs> they also buried cats in the walls. You okay? Mm-hmm. Keep keep the witches up. Yeah, that apparently, and also created witch bottles. Now, <laughs> witch bottles are fun because they sound fun. Mm, so you know, drawing symbols on your wall is kind of, you know, it could be anything really. It's not that dark. It's just a symbol. Dead cats mm, could also be just protecting the house and bringing in whatever. It has a guardian now. Witch bottles, dark fucking magic. Witch bottles were usually glass bottles Mm -hmm. containing something of the person you wished to keep out or the person that had cursed you. Okay. So hair or urine or menstrual blood or nails... Basically something from that person. Wow. Okay. That's gross. Um, They would then also contain things like thorns, salt, bones, pins, red wine, rosemary, Mm. any number of things. And then they were buried either near the house or near this person's house in order to get that person to stay away from you. Did it work? Um, I mean, often it's more a case of you have to tell them that you've done this and then they'll be like, you're disgusting. <laughs> I'm not coming anywhere near you. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Mm. There was actually a point, I think it was on Antiques Roadshow, where a family came on having found what they thought was a bottle, potentially of port, potentially oh, of no. red wine, that they'd found in the walls of their house. And the antiques expert drank some, said it tasted oh, a bit metallic no. and then later it was discovered that it was uh-huh. uh, nails oh, a God. bit of red wine and we why would they drink the so that they just drank the okay yeah i just feel like mm-hmm. that's not a very you know self-preservation mode to be in no but this is why white people die in horror films uh, yeah again i'd be the first person to die in a horror film <laughs> But since all of these things are kind of designed to protect you from witches, they're kind of fine. Okay, so this is, I was going to say white magic, but that's not really a term either, is it? No, it's kind of protective Protective magic. magic. Superstition. Defending. Mm. I was familiar with like amulets and amulet usage, like protection against the evil eye. I mean, most cultures have a kind of equivalent of that. Yeah. Or so it would seem, yeah. Yeah, like you, uh, in Turkey a lot, you'll see the evil eye itself. Mm. In Old Norse culture, you had something called the troll course, uh, or the troll cross, 
which kind of looks like um, the rune Ortala from the Elder Futhark, but that was okay. designed to ward away evil kind of magic. Did it work? Um, if you believe it does. <laughs> but also, again, you've got things like a uh, iron horseshoe above the door, or oh yeah, yeah, certain herbs by the front door or back door, salt in front of the porch, all these things are designed to keep bad things out. Because, I mean, we have an iron horseshoe in the garden, and mm. my understanding was was um, always, like, not necessarily it drives away witches, but it's more so that it was just good luck. Mm. So is that the kind of true purpose of it being filtered down? I think so, yeah. I think yeah. it's it, as the superstition becomes replaced by, quote-unquote, you know, modern beliefs, like, people mm-hmm. don't say bless you when you sneeze. <laughs> Uh, because because they want because they think your soul's trying to escape yeah. through your nose. Yeah, there are plenty of things, uh, plenty of things that, that were like old superstition that are still present. Yes, but we don't call it superstition anymore, so it's fine. It's fine. It's all good. <laughs> don't worry about it. So, as I said, in 1484, witchcraft was deemed heresy. Okay, and then in 1486, a man by the name of Heinrich Kramer released the now infamous tome. The Malleus Maleficarum, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. commonly referred to as the Hammer of the Witches. Ooh, I like. Okay, I've never heard it referred to as that, and I like that. Mm. It outsold all publications of the time except the Bible, <laughs> and it listed in it what witches did, how to spot them, as well as really putting the blame firmly on women. R- yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, saying they were essentially weaker in their Christian faith consumed with lust and easily led astray yeah i mean (laughs) yeah in fact i have a quote for you from it please please to quote malleus maleficarum all witchcraft comes from carnal lust which is in women insatiable there are three things that are never satisfied yea a fourth thing which says it is not enough (laughs) that is the mouth of the womb wherefore for the sake of fulfilling their lusts they consort even with devils. More such reasons could be brought forward, but to the understanding, it is sufficiently clear that it is no matter for wonder that there are more women than men found infected with the heresy of witchcraft. My favourite part of that was when you said, there are three things that are wrong. Actually, no, hang on, there are four. Do <laughs> the Spanish Inquisition bit. <laughs> yeah, it's like he decided halfway through, no, 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 wait, I've thought of another one. I mean, you couldn't backspace back then, so I no. just... You just had to kind of... Actually, no. Mr. Monk, go back. Go back. Mm-hmm. Were Monk still doing the writing at that point? I don't know. Uh. I assume so. But yeah, so essentially this book was his kind of guide to hunting witches or finding out who they were. Oh no. And why they did what they did. Um, okay. But also it does just read a bit like, I'm really attracted to women but I don't want to say that because that's unchristian. So instead I'm going to write about witches and write all my dirty little fantasies as things that witches do. Fellas, is it gay to like women? <laughs> or I guess, is it unchristian to like women? Um, <laughs> yes, women are disgusting. <laughs> all this isn't to say that men weren't also victims of the witch hunt, by the way. No, no. I don't course. want to put that forward, but they do make up roughly a fifth to a quarter of victims. Mm-hmm. However, blame often did go to women. That is true, yeah. Mm. 
particularly if they were elderly, yes. disabled, disliked, oh boy. or viewed <laughs> as unchristian. Oh god, I'd be so dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So before these women were probably healers or wise women, respected kind of elders in the community. Right, yeah. But once they were given away to become burdens. Oh no. Mm-hmm. But because they also held these roles, it meant that blame was easy to put on them if their her you know, their healing didn't work or if their advice didn't help. Right. You see how it <laughs> Do you are you inviting me to see modern parallels at all? Mm. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So Henry VIII passed the Witchcraft Act in 1542, mm-hmm. which defined witchcraft as a crime punishable by death. Oh, no. Um, this was the first, first act to define witchcraft as a felony. Right, okay. And allowed seizure for all of the fellas, felons, fellas, felons <laughs> belongings upon a conviction. Okay, mm. okay. I'd like to give you a little quote from the Witchcraft Act because I love a good oldie worldy law good give us a quote give us some law so here is a, a definition of what can be punished by death okay so use devise practice or exercise or cause to be devised practice or exercised any invocations or conjurations of sprites witchcrafts enchantments or sorceries to then t- to find money or treasure or to waste, consume, or destroy any person in his body members, or to provoke any person to unlawful love, or for any unlawful intent or purpose, or for despite of Christ, or for luck of lucre, I'm not sure what that is, of money, (laughs) dug up or pulled down any cross or crosses, or by such invocations or conjurations of sprites, witchcrafts, enchantments, or sorceries, or any of them, take upon them to tell or declare where good stolen or lost shall become. See, to me, that sounds very broad. I feel like that could mean a lot of things. Exactly. It's very much <laughs> like the um, when we covered Cleveland Street. Yes. Where it was anyone who, you know, tries to do this or tries to tries to do it or tries to get other people to do it. Or, like, gives us the vague impression that maybe they tried to do it at some point. Exactly. We don't really know. Yeah. The broader the net, the wider it can fall. That is correct. Um, and this act also took away what's called benefit of the clergy. Okay. Um, which saved a lot of convicted from the gallows and essentially meant you couldn't be executed if you could read a passage of the Bible. <laughs> and this essentially was taken away. Oh, oh no. But not for long. It was repealed in 1547 by Edward VI, though the Witchcraft Act remained. Wait, so the, the clergy part was repealed? Yeah. But the rest stays. Okay, so essentially witches could potentially be saved from conviction or from the gallows if they could read a passage from the Bible. Well, that's a relief, because who can't read a passage from the Bible? <laughs> a lot of people, because they couldn't read. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, okay, that's a pretty unfair rule. <laughs> so in 1563, we have another witchcraft act called An Act mm-hmm. Against Conjurations, Enchantments and Witchcrafts. Uh, that was passed by Elizabeth I to replace the previous act. Right. It was slightly more lenient than the previous one. She was good Queen Bess. Mm, as it only carried the death penalty when harm had been caused. Problem with that. Mm. How do you prove harm has been caused? Yeah, I, I don't know. Again, 
it's designed to be vague, but now slightly less vague. So my understanding of this law was that it was essentially weaponized by people um, just using it to get back at people that they didn't like, basically. Mm. Yeah, most, Pretty much. Most, mostly women. Yeah. Yeah. That is exactly how it's used. Oh, no. And the broadness of that makes it incredibly easy. Yeah, I'll say. Because <laughs> also, although this is the law of the country, within their own kind of parishes, mm. it's not necessarily followed that they're going to do exactly what the law says. Right, yeah. Yeah, it has to be locally Each parish enforced. can be kind of a law run to itself. That is correct. In fact, you see that later on in the the witch hunts that we will be looking at uh, in the mid-17th century, uh, mm. that although something might not be legal, it's still being used. Yes. I mean, that was kind of the thing as well. We talked about a very similar idea briefly with the Maiden Tribute of Modern Babylon, mm. if you recall, like mm. that certain local groups kind of uh, formed and empowered themselves to like enforce the new laws in a local capacity. Like a militia. Basically, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they were weaponized per se, but yeah, basically. More of a neighborhood watch. Yeah, that might be a better description <laughs> for it. But yeah, that's the thing. Uh, can get very lawless away from the center of power. Mm, especially at this point in history, because the center of power oh, yeah. is so far from everyone. Yeah, not at all like today, where we're all in it together. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. So in it together. <laughs> so lesser offenses, obviously... Like we said, only ones that caused harm. I'm assuming that's physical harm, but I don't know. Lesser offences carried only a jail sentence. Oh good, only a jail sentence. But it was said that anyone who used witchcraft, enchantment, charm or sorcery to cause harm or death would be charged with a felony without benefit of clergy. So again, that get out of jail free card, if you can read, is taken away from you. Yeah, Christ. Uh, charges of homicide by witchcraft, so specifically death by a witch, okay. start to appear in the historical records after this act. Alright, okay. So this is, okay, people starting to really embrace the new law. Yeah. But at this time, out of the 157 accused of witchcraft, mm -hmm. about half were acquitted. Nice, good. So it's showing that at least they're trying to prove it in some way. Yeah, in some capacity, yeah. Unfortunately, for the witches of the world, or just women of England, really, in 1604, James I is doing stuff. He sure was. Uh-huh. So fear of witches was especially prevalent in Scotland. Yes, that is correct. Intensely. Intensely so. I mean, <laughs> uh, we did a, a history in like primary school, uh, just of Edinburgh, mostly, mm. and the witch trials and what they did to witches was a very big part of that. Oh, yeah. Like, of the history of the city itself. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, so where Princess Street Gardens is now in Edinburgh, it used to be a loch called the Norloch, mm. which was drained eventually, mostly for being gross, <laughs> uh, if my memory serves me correctly. But that was also where the witches would be ducked. Ah, Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's just a bunch of places around town where it's like, yeah, this is where the witches were hanged. God. Yeah. At least Edinburgh kind of doesn't shy away from its history. To a degree. That is correct. To a degree. I mean, if we're going to be, if we need to be serious and kind of careful, we should box <laughs> these places up. We need to box them up, absolutely. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. we don't know what would happen if someone tried to steal the Norlock. Oh, wait, that already <laughs> happened. 
they do make a lot of money out of them. So, mm. which I, depending on your views on that, mm. I mean, England has well, yeah, England has the London Dungeons among others. That is correct. Mm-hmm. We're veering dangerously close to a topic that will make me talk for ten hours. Though, okay, so. I'm escaping. <laughs> so, Scotland. So, Scotland made witchcraft a capital offence in 1563, mm-hmm. and the fear of witches, especially held by James the mm. First, led to the torture and death of thousands. Yeah. So, out of a population at the time of around 1 million, 2,500 were executed. Bloody hell, that's a mm-hmm. lot. That's, wow. That is five times the European average per capita at the time. Woof. Uh-huh. We really didn't like witches. Anew. So, in 1604, the Elizabethan Act was broadened to include invoking or communing with evil spirits or familiars as acts punishable by death without benefit of clergy. Gotcha. So now it's becoming a lot more broad. Right. Okay. Mm, Very similar to the difference between, again, in the uh, Cleveland Street scandal, the difference between I saw you and I have proof that you did this, as opposed to I think you've probably done this and you look like you have and I think I heard you. Word of mouth kind of conviction. Yeah, yeah, okay. This act's full title was An Act Against Conjuration, Witchcraft and Dealing with Evil and Wicked Spirits. Good title, punchy. I think (laughs) they should bring that back. This was the act that was later used by uh, Matthew Hopkins. Our boy. Mm, As well as a book published by James I called Demonology. Demonology. Mm. So is that kind of the, the, the guide that a lot of modern demon modern demon law you know that uh, information about demons comes from um in a way yeah i think it mm. led to kind of the creation of the ars goetia although i don't know for sure how old the ars goetia is mm. okay um essentially it explained the way that the devil operated in the world that he mm. was the leader of the fallen angels that had become demons and how these demons mm. made pact with people and granted them power and essentially said that witchcraft was a conspiracy between humans, demons, and the devil to do as much harm as they could and keep the people away from God. Yes, queen. <laughs> but this essentially, between this and making the crime, like all of it a felony, mm. it meant that the crimes and the courts moved away from the ecclesiastical courts and into the common court of law. This is, this is interesting in that it kind of... Seems very much to run parallel to the development of the legal system. Yeah, Hmm. very much so. So I'd like to put in quickly that, at least in England, burnings were not common. Yes. Most of the people found guilty of witchcraft in England, at least, were hanged. Yes, that that is also the case in America, I believe. Mm. Apart from if petty treason was involved. Right. Then you would be burned. Okay. In Scotland... You were burned, but you were usually throttled first. That's nice of them. Yeah, so you were unconscious. That's Okay, yeah. Whereas in mainland Europe, people were burned alive. Yeah, so that that's kind of where the whole burn the witch phrase comes from. It's more of a Euro- yeah. European thing. Pretty much. Yeah, that's nice. All this kind of brings us nicely, if nicely is the right word, <laughs> to the kind of infamous two-year panic between 1645 and 1647. And this is one thing we're interested in here. It's a moral panic. Exactly. Well, moral panic. A panic in general. (laughs) 
Um, but before we get on to that, I thought we could take a nice break Ooh, just okay. to refuel. That's absolutely perfect. Before we get into the witch finder general. Mm, mm-hmm. So I will see you in a moment. I will see you in a moment. It's an awful mess and a bad case of cannibalism. Quote by Master Corporal Bob Bisson. If you want to hear more bad cases of cannibalism and indeed awful messes, make sure to listen to Casting Lots, a survival cannibalism podcast. So, now that we're all back and refreshed. Mm-hmm. What are you drinking? I'm drinking um, peach lemonade. From Costa or just general? No, it's a mixture of Aldi peach squash and Aldi lemonade. <laughs> That's fine. I respect that because I was like, is Costa <laughs> open again? No. <laughs> One day. One day. But yeah, we thought we'd like a moral panic. Well, here we go. Yes. So, the two-year panic between 1645 and 1647. Mm-hmm. So, to set the scene a little, mm. England at this point has been ruled by the Stuart family since 1601, mm. when the Tudor line ended... And James VI of Scotland became James I of England. Yes, we're proud of him. Yes, King. Yeah. Unifying the two countries for now. Mm. Currently on the throne is uh, no one because Charles I has been defeated by the Roundheads. He was defeated in 1645. Yes. Leaving the country in some degree of turmoil. Yeah. I mean, not to say that the country had been particularly fine before that, since Charles was, to put it lightly, uh, uh, something of a terrible king. Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> he refused to listen to Parliament, believing in the divine right of kings. Oh boy. And is famous for levying several heavy, heavy taxes on the public without Parliament's consent. Yeah, that's gonna, historically that doesn't end well for royalty. A new, it's, I think that's what, essentially resulted in the Magna Carta, wasn't it? Don't... uh, Yes. (laughs) Essentially, he then tried to dissolve Parliament. Mm, Yeah, okay, yeah. Which led to war breaking out in 1642 Mm -hmm. between uh, the Royalist supporters, essentially Charles's friends and people that benefited from him being in power, known as the Cavaliers, and the parliamentary, parliamentary supporters? Yes. The Roundheads led by the Puritan Cromwell. Who I think were booing him. Uh, yeah? I can never... I did British history in first year of university and I slept through all of it, okay? (laughs) So, as stated earlier, Charles was defeated in 1645. Mm. He evaded capture until 1647, Mm -hmm. when he was handed over to Parliament by the Scottish. Yes, Uh, obviously. He was tried and executed in 1649 when the country became essentially a republic. Yes. For a bit. For a wee bit. Mm -hmm. So all this puts the period that we're looking at between the first English Civil War, Mm -hmm. which lasted from 1642 to 1646, and the second and third Civil Wars, which went from 1648 to 1651. Both of them. Mm. That's kind of the main period, because they're quite short themselves. So I thought it made more sense to kind of shove them together. This is all bringing back... Did you ever read I, Coriander? No. It's a really good book. Like, I guess nowadays it would be called a young adult book. Mm. Um, it's set... It's about um, 
a young woman and it's set in the this period the civil war period and mm. she's she's also has a mother who is half fairy it turns out kind of a spoiler <laughs> i suppose um so it, it's about witchcraft yeah and oh, cool. this time it's a really good book i recommend reading it because i oh, really want to look like, for it yeah no yeah, you, should, you should check it out it's, it's very well written it's by sally gardner but yeah no uh, i'm remembering the historical background to it <laughs> revolved very much around what it was like living in the republic and from what I remember, it was quite religiously repressive or yeah. oppressive. Yeah, everything was banned. Christmas was banned. Yeah, so music no. was banned. Makeup mm-hmm. was banned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this meant essentially that there was a huge amount of unrest in Britain yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. A lot of anger, a lot of fear, and nowhere really to direct it. Yeah. Oh, here we go. And so people were looking. For people to blame. The witches. Yeah, you can see how this makes a sort of perfect Petri dish for panic. Yes. Is that a good phrase? Shall I stick with that? I like it, actually. Okay. So while it didn't have as many deaths as Scotland, England did have a very high death toll due to many kind of self-styled witch finders. Okay. Oh, okay. The vigilantes. Mm. Uh, One of the most famous of these was Mm -hmm. Matthew Hopkins. Yes, here he is. Who I thought we'd use as our kind of window into this period of panic. He's probably the most famous. Mm Mm-hmm. So he was born in Suffolk, and there's very little record of his early life beyond that he was the son of James Hopkins, a Puritan clergyman and vicar in Great Wenham. We can guess from what records do exist, including a a parishioner, who left money in 1619 to buy Bibles for James's three children, that Matthew could not have been born before 1619. Okay. If true, that puts him at 25 okay. when his career started. Okay, okay, okay. And 28 when he died. Has there been a biopic uh, with him played by, I don't know, a kind of Timothée Chalamet type? Sadly not, but now I want one. Me too. There is a film about him, I mean, it's not... I mean, it's not going to be very, you know, historically accurate, but it does have Vincent Price playing him. Which era of Vincent Price? Kind of the same period as when he was making all the Edgar Allan Poe films, from what I can tell. So he was a wee bit old, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Pity. But still, Vincent Price, good choice for most casting decisions, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Those numbers, by the way, come from uh, Witchfinder General, the biography of Matthew Hopkins by Craig Gabble. Uh, Cabble, okay. if you were wondering. So, in the early 1640s, Hopkins moves to Manningtree in North East Essex. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey. We're now getting into my turf. Into your scuttling ground. <laughs> Essex at the time um, was actually the heart of what was called the Eastern Association, mm-hmm. which was an area that was very heavily Puritan and parliamentarian oh, and very powerful. So, so a really fun place to be around, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. There's a belief he was a lawyer at the time due to his approach and manner in trials, but there's not really a large amount of evidence to support that. Mm. What he was, was a man with a very puritanical view on life, and specifically witches. So if he was alive nowadays, he'd be one of those people complaining on Reddit about how, you know, women used to be women and now they're just decadent sluts. 
Yes. Okay, cool. Precisely. That's good. I'm just trying to get a picture of him in my head. So, using his inheritance from his father, which wouldn't have been much since his father was a vicar, he bought an inn in Manningtree and set himself up as a gentleman in town. <laughs> what? He, but he also believed that there were several witches already at work in Manningtree. I mean, sure. Did it just have that kind of vibe? Because there were women there. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. <laughs> Supposedly, he began his career as a witch finder after hearing women talking about their work with the devil in uh-huh. 1644. Uh-huh. These women were tried in Chelmsford in Essex. Of the 23 accused, four supposedly died in prison and 19 were hanged eventually. Yikes. Mm. But this seems very much to have set him on his path to become Witchfinder General, as he appears to have assumed that position in 1645. Nice. Wow. It was believed at this time that witches carried marks on their bodies. Yes, I'd heard of this. Birthmarks, third nipples, (laughs) that kind of thing that either showed their allegiance with the devil in a way that he'd kind of touched them there. Yeah. Or the nipple was to feed their familiars or, like, Mm -hmm. demons of some description. I don't really understand that, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. 1600s beliefs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this came from a trial in Lancaster uh, where the accused were examined by a physician for marks, uh, physical marks of their witch nature and i guess that could be pretty much anything like Mm -hmm. most people have like a weird freckle or something oh yeah if you're looking (laughs) for it you will find it absolutely and even if you don't find it you can pretend yeah totally so using this mentality of physical marks on people proving their their evil nature as well as james the first book demonology Mm. hopkins set to work traveling the country as a witch finder He did so with a group of... Now, don't giggle. This is very serious. I'm going to giggle. (laughs) A group of lady prickers. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. These were women whose job it was to cut or prick spots on accused witches. Right. So I'm just amazed he had to A, outsource that, Mm. and B, just travelled around the country with a... With his, with his gang of gals. <laughs> but the belief was, essentially, if she didn't bleed, she was a witch. Yes. And you'd think, you know, if they're using blades or, or pins, this is a very sensible test. Everyone will bleed if struck with a, a knife or a pin. Not if you stick them in a weird area. Not if the blades are blunt and the pins retractable. Ah, or that. Because there was a lot of money to be made in witch hunting. How so? Well, at the time, an average farmer's wage was about sixpence a day. Mm-hmm. In modern money, that is about three pounds. Wonderful. However, villages or towns which had been besieged by witchcraft would be very grateful to you for getting rid of the witches and would want to pay you for your service. Uh, by besieged by witches, um, uh, you mean like problems with, I don't know, crops or... Yeah. Yeah, or... I or don't just know, nothing, really. In, or disease or something. Just they might nothing. not even know. All right. They just, they just felt, they just had that feeling that there was a witch nearby. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Okay. So, Hopkins was able to make about 20 shillings a town, or around £118. Hot damn, okay. Mm-hmm. 
What about his lady prickers? Oh, that was spread between them. Oh, good. Okay, I was going to say, if he was pocketing it all, that would be a bit unfair. <laughs> Records at a town in Suffolk called Stowmarket, or Stowmarket, okay. show they paid him £23, or what is in today's money, around £3,800. Fucking hell. Yeah. Which didn't even include his travelling expenses. Right. So he got those as well? Yeah. God, I'm in the wrong field. <laughs> All of this to say, witch hunting was extremely lucrative. Essentially, the more witches they uncovered, the more money they would be paid. Yeah. It kind of speaks volumes that Hopkins' favourite method of, of proving someone was a witch mm-hmm. was to use what is essentially a medieval, or medieval, sorry, I've been listening to many American things, uh, a medieval ordeal. Okay, what is a medieval ordeal apart from not very nice, I'm guessing? Yeah. Uh, an ordeal by water. You're right, okay, okay. Or instead, tying you to a chair mm-hmm. and throwing you in a pond or a river. As one does. Yeah. The belief was that if you were guilty and a witch, you had renounced your baptism by making a pact with the devil, right. and so the water would reject you and you would float. Okay, yep. If you sank and probably drowned, Uh, you were innocent, but you would be welcomed into the kingdom of God because of your innocence. Great. So it's kind of, you're never going to die either way. Yeah. So this test was actually, as I mentioned earlier, certain things that might not have been legal were still used. Okay, such as? So this test was legally abandoned uh, in 1645. Thank God for that. So it was technically not legal, but that didn't mean that people didn't do it. Yeah. Accused witches were also put through sleep deprivation, food deprivation, and weren't allowed to sit. They had to stand for days and hours while also not being allowed to sleep or eat. Ah, so the kind of modern Guantanamo techniques. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You would say anything after a certain amount of time. I would say anything if you didn't let me go to bed at my usual time of 11pm. Like, (laughs) five minutes after that, I would be foaming at the mouth and willing to confess to anything. (laughs) His witch-hunting techniques were detailed in a book called The Discovery of Witches, published in 1647. Mm Mm-hmm. And this actually went on to affect witch trials in New England from 1663 mm-hmm. and later at Salem in 1693. Mm. Yes. And that's very... I've been thinking a lot about Salem recently because I'm kind of... There's there's a museum there about uh, the witchcraft trials, but it also has a more general section about witchcraft, mm. uh, which is really interesting and I recommend it if you're in the area. Yeah. Yeah. I've just been thinking about it a lot lately because I think I might use oh. it kind of in my... PhD. Mm. Oh, cool. Yeah, as like a model for how we can discuss certain dark histories. Mm. Which is the hot discussion nowadays, I suppose. Witches. <laughs> We're not witch, uh, witch hunts, maybe. Mm. Mm. Um, but this is to say that essentially he had a wide influence. And yes. a lot of people, innocent people, died because of Because him. of this guy. Yeah. But this isn't to say that there wasn't opposition to Hopkins. Right. And his cavalcade of uh, misery. His his cavalcade of misery. Yeah. One of his biggest detractors 
was a vicar from Cambridgeshire called John Gall. Mm -hmm. He made a point of vocally and actively, actively denouncing Hopkins, saying that although he did believe in witches himself, the panic and silliness that Hopkins whipped up with his visits would make villagers lose all sense. He wasn't wrong. Mm. They might have thought, okay, we have one witch, maybe, and then within two days, Hopkins like, no, there's 30. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, shit, you're right, we don't trust anyone. Yeah, that's not a very productive way to live your life. No. But by 1646, uh, some kind of stability, both politically and legally, was beginning to return to England. Mm. And courts known as Aziz courts, or Aziz courts, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, mm-hmm. were beginning to run again. So these are periodic courts held round England and Wales, which had both criminal and civil jurisdiction. Okay. They were essentially ju- judges travelling the UK, setting up court and calling juries in the various Aziz circuits. Okay, okay, I think I'm with you. This is the legal stuff. This is where my brain starts going, ah, no. (laughs) So these particular locations would have been covered by what are called the Home and the Norfolk Circuits. Okay, okay. Parliament officials began to question the authority and validity of the trials. Mm -hmm. Good, glad. (laughs) In the summer of 1646, Hopkins and his compatriot Stern were called before a a court to defend their fleecing of towns and use of illegal torture. As opposed to legal torture, which I miss you. Yeah. yeah. So there, 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 were, <laughs> uh, there was a correct avenue to take and they did not take it. Exactly. They, of course, denied both, claiming that money earned went to travel and upkeep <laughs> and the torture was necessary to break the spirit of the witch. I mean, fine. <laughs> It's like, no, they had to be in pain, otherwise they wouldn't confess. It's very difficult to get witches to say they're witches when they aren't really witches. If you're arguing about witches in the first place, then logically it's one very easy step to, well, you need to torture them to get them to confess they're witches. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a slippery slope, that- <laughs> I believe is the phrase. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's certainly one phrase for it. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. So growing distrust and dismissal of both their methods and their profiteering Mm -hmm. um, led to both men deciding to retire by the end of 1646. Deciding to retire. Mm. With Hopkins dying in Chelmsford, supposedly of tuberculosis, potentially of a curse. My understanding was that uh, there uh, there was kind of a mystery surrounding his death. Yeah, Yeah. the common theory is tuberculosis, but it's... With most things of the time, we don't really know. I mean, yeah, I'm an Occam's razor type person, as you know. Mm. But I, I, that's, the, that's the main thing I remember from the Blue Peter thing, was they, they were like, no one knows what <laughs> happened to him. Witches. Apparently. After this, though, belief in witchcraft slowly begins to decline. Mm. Mostly because there was a long period, especially after the, um, the monarchy restoration mm-hmm. of peace more food, more money, fewer outbreaks of disease except the plague, and slowly (laughs) an interest in science beginning to bloom. Yes, the the stirring of the Enlightenment would follow. Exactly. Mm. It's around that time that the uh, observatory, the Royal Observatory, was built. That is correct. 
-hmm. and it is also i mean the enlightenment was really big in edinburgh um Mm, so it's absolutely it's quite fun it's quite interesting contrasting the old town with the new town because like the new town's got so many enlightenment based institutes and architecture and stuff you know um and then the old town has still got bits that are like there's a witch burn the witch (laughs) Uh, it's really visible when the change was. <laughs> you, I, you can look, you could map it architecturally, I'm sure. <laughs> so we have one last witchcraft act uh, that was passed by Parliament of the Kingdom of Great Britain in 1635. Kingdom of uh, which made it a crime for a person to claim that any human being had magical power or was guilty of practising witchcraft. Good, nice. Yeah, and with that essentially the law abolished the hunting and execution of witches in Great Britain. I'm. You love to see it. I love to see it. But that kind of brings me to the end of my notes, my little mm. journey through witchcraft. Well, what a story it was. Yeah, and I kind of want to talk a little bit, just because we have a little bit of time left, of Caitlin Doty's theory of witch to kitch. Yes, so uh, this is kind of what my PhD is about. Yeah, that's why I thought I'd bring it up. Yeah, please, continue. So, obviously, in recent times, especially since around the kind of... From the 20s, but especially from the 60s, with the birth of... I forget the name of the show, but the one with the witch, Uh, and she, like, wiggles her nose. Oh, God, um, not Sabrina, uh, Samantha, Bewitched. Bewitched. There became this kind of... I don't know if it was a kind of sanitization of witchcraft or just a sanitization of the independent, free-thinking woman, which would be interesting considering it started around the 20s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the kind of idea of it becoming a, a bit more palatable, maybe even glamorous. Mm. Mm. And also a way to uh, sanitize history, perhaps. Yes. Well, that's... Um... Another what thing I'm going to talk about in depth with the hopefully about the Salem Witch Museum and how it examines witchcraft. But you also had kind of the idea of the scary witch, which was mm. which had been around for a while. You know, you had you had it in folklore, Baba Yaga, mm. and it existed in books. For example, The Wizard of Oz. But the kind of archetype of the witch was really solidified by the film The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. With, and the, the the design of that witch was different from how she's described in the book. Um, mm. So it was really quite a unique... Although there's the theory that the design of witches with the pointed hat and the mm. hooked nose, that they were quite thoroughly linked to anti-Semitic views. I could believe that. I could believe that. Mm. <laughs> so it's definitely worth remembering when looking at portrayals of witches, especially if they come with the pointed hat and hooked nose mm, mm-hmm, and a mm-hmm. hatred of pretty young white girls yeah because <laughs> in the in the in the book if i recall correctly she's just like an old lady and she has like one eye mm. and she wears what color does she wear does she wear no glinda wears what well i'm not gonna go into my deep no. knowledge on the oz law just no. now but that depiction <laughs> sits more in line with people who were viewed as witches in these kind of in the era that we've just talked about. Yeah. The kind of old, disabled, outsider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's interesting to look at that and, you know, look at the way people have treated 
those kind of people as burdens and see that reflected in society at the moment. And the last thing I'd like to leave us with after talking about both the witch trials and also the kind of sanitization of the image of witches. Witch to catch. Mm -hmm. Is to A, not view the elderly, the disabled or the outsiders as burdens. Um, Uh Especially because there's recently been an article in the New York Times about whether it's ethically sound to not date someone because they are chronically ill. Oh, God, I saw that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus Christ. And that is a debate that's coming up a lot at the moment. Yeah. Um, You know, with all these articles being like, don't worry, it's only the elderly who are getting coronavirus. And it's Mm. like, um... Or only the chronically (laughs) ill. These people are not burdens. Being alive isn't a sin. And they should not be sacrificed to better society. No, exactly. Also, do not sanitize your history. Learn about your history. Learn about the statues of people in your town or in your city and what is good and what is bad. Don't learn about history through statues. Yeah, because in the words of uh, Trevor Noah, everyone knows Mm. about the Great Plague and there aren't statues of rats. That's true. And to conclude on the theme of statues and witches and kitches in um, Salem, you will find a statue of Samantha from Bewitched. Yay. But also a monument. Yes, a monument as well. To all the people who were innocently, or the innocent people who were murdered during the Salem That is Witch correct. It's a, very, it's a very beautiful monument. It's stylized um, like a graveyard, really. So you can kind of... Uh, when I went to Salem, we started off with the... With the with the Samantha statue, and then we finished off at the monument. Yeah, um, it was it was thought provoking. I'll mm, say that. Much. I think that's a good mm-hmm. way to look at it. I feel like yeah, look at statues as if the facade is Samantha from Bewitched, and the reality is the gravesite. Yes, absolutely. And on that kind of thought provoking note, hopefully, <laughs> I didn't plan that. I just decided that it was a good thing to throw in. It is a good thing to throw. In. I kind of bring us to the end of our episode. Okay, very good. What will we be talking about next time? Well, next time um, it's another it's another me special, Woo. and we're going a, we're going a bit more modern again, as I want to do. We're going to be looking at <laughs> the twentieth century. <gasps> so modern. Mm-hmm. Very modern. Uh, do I mean twentieth century? Yes, I do mean twentieth yes, century. I always mix up the centuries because they mix around. <laughs> we are going to be looking at Britain in the Cold War. Ooh. Hmm. I know next to nothing about that, so. Again, there's a lot to talk about, but, um, I mean, Britain wasn't a key player in the Cold War. Mm. Like, it was it was an ally of the, the United States, obviously, but kind of the, the big players were the US and um, the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. But pretty much every country in the world was sorted according to, like, their role in the Cold War, yeah. which is uh, actually where the phrase third world comes from. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah, so first world nations are countries that are affiliated with the United States. Uh Second world are uh, the Soviet states. And then third world were the nations that were technically neutral, mostly because they were not in great shape. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Hence why that's an outdated term. It is an outdated term. Developing nations is also not a good term because... You know, whatever. Well, we can talk about it more. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that is, that is a Cold War term, which okay. is something I found interesting. Well, I've learned something yeah. already. Well, there you go. Yeah, I am excited to learn more. I'm glad to hear it. And I will see you next time. Yes, we'll see you next time. Don't let Matthew Hopkins bite.
Unless he's like a Timothy Chalamet type, then then you can consider oh, it, I suppose. Morbid Audio Podcast Network.